you're a guest with us and you're wondering what is up with the Crossbridge jersey, uh, you need to know we've got a football team. They're awesome. They're undefeated since 1957. Um, it's not true. We don't have a football team. Uh, we do have a dream team. Uh, and uh, anyway, just excited that you're here. Uh, how many of you are rooting for the Chiefs tonight? Like three of you. That's awesome. Um, how many of you are rooting for the 49ers? How many of you could care less? That was about the same in the first service. Uh, hey, listen, uh, whatever the case, uh, we're glad that you're here. Uh, if you are connecting with us online, we're thankful for this technology uh, that helps us get connected. Uh, we know that many of you will watch online before you ever step foot in these doors, and we look forward to when we can get to know you in person. I was actually talking with someone after our first service, and they just said, I was online for quite some time, and it's just so different uh, being in the room, and there's just a lot of truth in that, and we hope uh, you'll gather with us and we can get to know you in person soon. Hey, um, we are in the sixth week of this series that we're in right now, The Map, and uh, it is really just kind of following the story of the people of God, and, and what we're discovering is, is it's not just their story, it's our story. And as we uh, kind of learn more and more about their story, uh, there's just so many things. The reason it's in the Bible is to help us know how we can navigate our own story. And if you're here and you are in Egypt, you're, you're still in bondage to sin, you still find yourself enslaved to something, that you're just in this place that you're like, I keep doing what I don't want to do, and I don't know how to stop doing what I don't want to do, and, and you're in bondage that, that you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, you've never asked Jesus to be Lord of your life, then, then you're still in Egypt. But if you've asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, if you've asked Jesus to be Lord of your life, then, then as we've been talking about, it's like you've crossed over that Red Sea, and you've been saved. You've been saved from what it was like back in Egypt. But the problem is, is once we get saved, as we've learned the last two weeks, uh, you kind of hit this thing called Desert University. And you're like, wow, you know, I'm saved. I crossed the Red Sea. Where's this fruitful land? I mean, why don't I have all the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? That I, But where's that stuff at? Where's this victorious Christian living? And what we discover is that we've got to learn some lessons in Desert University. What we discover is God has to teach us, uh, not only do we need to get out of Egypt, but he's got to get Egypt out of us. And there's just some things that we need to learn. And, and, and one of those lessons we talked about last week is we've got to learn to every morning wake up and open the flap of our tent and go and collect manna, go and collect uh, the, the bread from heaven. Um, and, and as we talked about last week, in fact, this week I read a, a statistic that uh, 80% of, if, if you... If you read your Bible at least five times a day, if you just open it up and read a little bit of your Bible at least five times a day, that 80% of those people uh, would say that they're continuing to grow spiritually and continuing to have uh, a relationship that is thriving uh, with, with God. It's not just religion, but it's, it's a relationship. If I were to ask you, uh, hey, what did you eat for lunch three weeks ago on Tuesday? You'd look at me crazy, like you're looking at me like, I don't know, I have no idea what I ate three weeks ago on Tuesday, but I'm telling you, you needed that meal, right? You needed that meal, and if you wouldn't have had it, you'd have missed it, um, and the, the reality is that sometimes we read our Bibles, and we're like, oh, I didn't really get a lot today, and it didn't, didn't blow my mind and change my world, and it's like, it wasn't like God split the sky and said something that radically transformed me, but the reality is, is whether you have those experiences or not, you still need that meal. 
you still need to open it up and read that meal every day. And so, uh, so God's got to teach us some lessons in the desert. Uh, but what we're going to talk about today, what we're going to focus on today, is the fact that God delivered the people from slavery in Egypt, brought them through kind of the, some portions of the desert. They're still in the wilderness uh, but then he brings them to Mount Sinai, uh, and the reason he brings them to Mount Sinai is for a wedding ceremony, so that he can marry his bride, uh, the, the people. And, and, and it's just this beautiful, beautiful picture, um, and before we dive into scripture and kind of jump into this message, I feel like, you know, as we're going to talk about marriage, I feel like it's important for me to remind you, if you're here in the room or you're watching online, that this Wednesday is Valentine's Day, all right? I just feel like that's a good thing. And man, I know you didn't need that reminder. I know you have that. You got this covered. Like, you got, like, you're good. But if you did need that reminder, I'm here for you, all right? I'm here for you. I got you. Um, so uh, today, uh, what we're really going to look at, though, is this loving, pursuing God who just wants to be in relationship with his people. And so uh, let's, let's pray together. Can we do that before we jump into Scripture? Father, I pray that um, you would help us to just be open and receptive to all that you would want to speak into our hearts and our lives. I pray that if there are some who are here, some who are watching online and they've never asked you to be Lord of their life, they've never received your forgiveness and your grace to begin this journey of salvation, this, this journey of renewal, Lord, I pray that today would even be a day that they would begin that journey. Lord, for those that have been on it for a long, long time, I pray that you would give us some new insights, give us some new understanding of what this relationship is all about and and the commitments that we're making and the whys behind those commitments. Lord, I pray that we would leave encouraged. I pray that we would leave with new hope and new inspiration from your word, that we would have an encounter with you and that we would be changed. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, if you're a note taker, you're following along in your notes, uh, in your notes, the first section there is just called the mountain of God. And I just kind of want to bring us back to the beginning of the series. If you remember, uh, Moses at the beginning of the book of Exodus uh, has been in the wilderness for 40 years, um, kind of ran from Egypt. He's been hiding out in the wilderness. Uh, and Moses finds himself on Mount Sinai. And while he's on Mount Sinai, he has a burning bush experience. And God calls him to go back to Egypt and talk to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go. And, um, and Moses kind of has all these, well, God, how do I know you're going to be with me? God, how do I know? Like, what, you know, what's the sign that you're going to be with me? And this is what it says. Listen to this in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. It says, God answered... I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Now, I, mean, I don't know if this has ever been a, your story. You're like, God, I mean, how do I know you're going to do what you're going to do? God, can I trust you? And God says, I tell you what, why don't you go be obedient to me? Why don't you go do what I told you to do? And then after you've done what I told you to do, I'll give you a sign. Because that's exactly what God does here. Moses says, before I go back to Egypt, God, can you give me a sign? God says, I'll tell you what your sign's going to be. After you do what I told you to do, and you show back up at this mountain and you worship me, that'll be your sign that I am with you. And 
This is just how God works. God says, be obedient to what I ask you to do. And after you're obedient, I'm going to show you some stuff. I'll, I'll, I'll reveal myself to you in some greater ways. And I don't know if you're like that, but I'm like that. I'm like, God, I'd like the sign beforehand. Can I get, can I get the sign now? Can I, you know, we're, we're a lot more um, like, you know, Gideon. And, you know, I'm going to lay this fleece out. And if you do all the things that I ask you to do, then, then I'll do what you ask me to do. And that's not always the way God works. More often than not, God does what he did with Moses here. And he says, hey, go do what I told you to do. Your sign's going to be after you've done it, you show back up this mountain, you worship me. Um, that'll be your sign. So after three months of traveling, they've crossed the Red Sea. After three months of traveling, uh, they are in the desert wandering. God has provided water for them. God has fed them. Uh, the pillar of fire leads them to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And the people camped out at Mount Sinai for 18 to 24 months. Now, so, you know, at, at Mara, it was a short stop. Bitter place, short stop. God moved them on. They went to, uh, went to the Palm Springs of the wilderness. And uh, they, they experienced kind of, they camped out there for, for maybe a little bit. But they really kind of set up camp here at Mount Sinai for quite some time. And there's three things in your notes. Uh, there's, there's, at Mount Sinai, the people of Israel experienced three major events. And the first one is the covenant will be established. There, there's this covenant relationship that's established. The people get married to God. That's what I want us to understand this as. This, this is a, a wedding ceremony that takes place. This, this, is, this is a big time wedding between God and his people. The, the second thing is the tabernacle will be built. Uh, that, that proper worship is taught. They've been slaves in Egypt for generations. And God says, I'm going to have to teach you how to worship. I'm going to have to teach you what it looks like to worship. I'm going to have to teach you. And, and isn't, that, isn't that like us? God delivers us. He saves us. And then we have to like figure out how do we worship. That's why um, when, when you first get saved and you first start following Jesus, this is, this is what everybody does in church while the singing's happening. That's what they do. Looking at the words, checking out the people on the stage, right? That's, that's that. And then we start to learn. We go, oh, oh, God wants us to sing. God, God wants to put a song in our heart. God wants me to actually move my lips. Oh my! <laughs> and we have to kind of learn that. And it's awkward, and it's different, and it's new. But God says, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach you that I want you to worship. And some of us like, I don't, I don't like that. That's not, that's not me. God says, that's all right. That's what I like. And you're worshiping me. And so I want you to do what I like. And so we, we say, all right. And so we learn. And so in the tabernacle and all the tabernacle and the rituals of the tabernacle, God was saying, hey, not what you like, but what I like. This is how you can worship me. I want to teach you how to worship me. And then the, the third thing is there's the golden calf that's built and destroyed. Some of you might remember um, in uh, Moses goes and receives the Ten Commandments when he comes back down. The people, he's been gone so long, they, they get Aaron to build this golden calf. And, and there's improper worship that is addressed. Uh, and the way it's addressed, Moses knocks this thing down, grinds it to powder, mixes it in water, and makes the people drink it. Moses is like, hey, we don't do this. If you want a golden calf, here's a golden calf. Drink it. You know, I mean, it's like, whew. so it's like, hey, there's a right way to worship, and there's a wrong way to worship. And they learn all of this at Mount Sinai. They learn that there's a loving God that wants to be in relationship with them. They learn what does it look like to worship this loving God? What is, what is a picture of that worship? And then how is it 
what is improper worship and how do I stay away from all that thing, all that stuff? And so uh, in your notes, there's just a section that says, let me introduce myself. In my Bible, in Exodus chapter 19, and if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. In my Bible, and depending on what translation you're reading, you might have a different heading on your Bible, but in my Bible, it says, the Lord reveals himself at Sinai at the top of that chapter. There's just this interesting picture. Um, The people of Israel are in Egypt. They're in slavery. And we've seen in the book of Exodus that there's like an intimacy between God and Moses. There's conversations that have happened between God and Moses. But if you're the average Israelite and you're making bricks, you're one of the two million people that are just making bricks all day long, morning to night, and you're like not top of the food chain, you're, you know, you're, you're not in the know, you're not in leadership, you're not in the, you know, you're, you're not any of, you're just, you're just making bricks all day long. Just hard work, hard work, hard work. And then one day somebody tells you, hey, it's time to leave. And you go, what, we're leaving? You know, all right, you know, and you, you painted the blood of the lamb on your door and, and, and all of a sudden you're released and you just go and you're excited. And then you get to the Red Sea and you're thinking, man, I guess we're all going to die here. You know, the Egyptians are behind us. There's no way we can get. And then God splits the Red Sea and you walk through it. And then God wipes out the Egyptian army behind you. And you're just like, who is this? What is going on? Who is this God who's delivering us? But you don't really know God. I mean, the average, there's been no introduction. There's been no intimacy. There's, There's just, I'm in slavery. I don't like where I'm at. And this God has pulled me out of this place. That's it. It's a lot like us, right? How much do you really know about God when you first get saved? I mean, for those of you who've been walking with Jesus for a long time, just think back to the lessons that you didn't know. When you first said, Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, I want to receive your forgiveness. Jesus, will you, will you get me out of this mess that I'm in, right? Because most of us were in just a mess. Our lives are not going well. There's just, there's a lot of things and we're just like, I need something. I need help. And we're just in pain and we just want to get saved. We just want to be delivered. We want to get pulled out of that place. There's a whole lot you didn't know. If you're here or you're watching online and you're not following Jesus yet, you need to know you don't have to have it all figured out before you start following Jesus. In fact, there's a whole lot you're going to figure out. You you think you might know some stuff, but you don't know anything until you start following Jesus and you start asking the right questions and he starts teaching you lessons. But, But they don't really know God at this point. They just know he saved them. They just know he's delivered them. And they're excited about that. And here in Exodus chapter 19, God introduces himself. He reveals himself to his people for the first time. He says, let me introduce you. I'm the God who saved you, and I want to be in relationship with you. Look look with me at Exodus 19, 1 through 8. It says, exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. And then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. Complete side note. uh, On your own one day, you should read this and you should count how many times Moses climbs the mountain and comes back down, climbs the mountain. He's like over 80 years old right now. And I mean, he's just like jogging up and down this mountain. And it's a big mountain. I mean, That has nothing to do with the sermon, but it's a really fun fact. You should just on your own count it up one day. Um, 
So Moses um, set up camp there, and Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on the earth, for all the earth belongs to me. It's just beautiful imagery. He's like, listen, I... I love this, this language of, you know, I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. I, I want you to be my treasured possession. This, this is classic. Prince Charming goes and rescues the damsel in distress and then brings her back to marry her and to be in... I mean, this is what this imagery is. This is what this picture is. And so... Um, picking it up at verse 16, there, there's, there's several verses after that, uh, verse 9 through 15, and just kind of, hey, in three days, something big is going to happen. Get ready. This is how you get ready. And then we pick it up at verse 16, and it says this. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed, and a dense cloud came down on the mountain, and there was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn, and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God. This is like their first, this is like a blind date, kind of like, it's like, it's like, hey, I'm going to have you meet with God. They still haven't met God. This is it. They know he's delivered them. They know he's released them from slavery, but they don't have a relationship with him yet. They're meeting him for the first time. Well, verse am I on? 17. All right. So, uh, eight. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God. They stood at the foot of the mountain. And all of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln. And the whole mountain shook violently. Verse 19 says this. As the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God thundered his reply. And the Lord came down on the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So he had to go back up. Uh, so Moses climbed the mountain. One more journey up. And then when you uh, pick up at verse uh, chapter 20, verses uh, 1 through 3, we see uh, God, God says this to the people. Chapter 20, verses 1 through 3 says this. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. So this is, this is a beautiful picture. God's like, it's nice to meet you. I'm, I'm the God who's delivered you. I'm the God who's rescued you, who pulled you out of this place. And then he says this, you must not have any other God but me. So every, everything he asks from this point on is in relation to, I'm the God who rescued you. I'm the God who delivered you. I'm the God who wants a relationship with you. In this first commandment, he's saying, listen, I chose you because I want you to be my treasured possession. And all I'm asking is that you would only worship me. All I'm asking is that, that you would just follow me and worship me alone. But I'm the God who loves you and who has sought after you. And 
in, in the rest of chapter 20, chapter 21, chapter 22, chapter 23, God kind of lays out, this is what our relationship should look like. I'm the God who's rescued you now. Now let me, let me give you uh, some boundaries for our relationship. And, and for many people, for so many people, Mount Sinai and kind of the giving of the Ten Commandments is like this scary, you know, God sticking his finger down from heaven and writing on the tablets and giving the commandments and saying, you know, thou shalt and thou shalt not and, and these do's and don'ts of this religious system. And it is so far from that. It is God, after rescuing the damsel in distress, bringing her back and saying, I want to marry you. I want to be in relationship with you. I love you. I want you to be my treasured possession. And, and for us to be in relationship, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like for us to be together in a relationship. And when I realized myself that Mount Sinai was less about laws and less about do's and don'ts and more about a loving God pursuing me and giving me boundaries for that loving relationship that he wanted for me. I mean, it just changed the way I looked at the law. It just changed the way I looked at, at the commandments. And, and, and there, this, is, this is a wedding ceremony. It's kind of the mother of all wedding ceremonies. Um, and it, you know, I don't, if you have never noticed how many times there are wedding ceremonies in the Bible, if you haven't ever noticed how much weddings there are, so all the way back in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2, the Bible kind of starts with a wedding, right? There's a man and a woman, and God creates them, and, he, and they're, they're brought together in one, and, and they're united. And, and then there is this wedding ceremony at Mount Sinai. Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding. At the end of time in the book of Revelation, uh, it's going to be a wedding ceremony. In fact, if you look at Revelation uh, Revelation chapter 21 says this, when I get there, Revelation chapter 21 of verses 1 through 2 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone, and I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I mean, there's just wedding talk all over the Bible. It's very, very interesting. And what's happening here is it's a wedding ceremony between God and his people. And Sinai is a place where God says, I want to get married. I want an intimate relationship with you. And we just see this in Jeremiah chapter 31. This is the way the prophets spoke about uh, the relationship between God and his people. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 32 says this. Jeremiah says, the day is coming, says the Lord, and he's looking forward to a day that was long after him when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. And this covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband Loves his wife, says the Lord. Isaiah chapter 62, verses 4 through 5 says this. Never again will you be called the forsaken city or the desolate land. Your new name will be the city of God's delight and the bride of God. 
For the Lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride. Your children will commit themselves to you, O Jerusalem, just as a young man commits himself to his bride. And then God will rejoice over you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. God wants to marry his people. And the laws are wedding vows. This is, this is so important for us. And anybody, anybody who looks at their wedding vows and says, I don't know, that seems a little heavy-handed. Seems like a lot of do's and don'ts. I'm not so sure. You shouldn't get married. You should get married. Um, I've done a lot of premarital counseling, all right? And, and, I've, and, and whenever I do premarital counseling, this is what I find. People are like, oh, I, I just love her so much. I just love him so much. He's perfect. He's, he's, he's just so great. And, and she's just so great. And I have to just say to them, hey, listen, you know, that's, I, I'm really happy you feel this way right now. This is, these feelings are awesome. But one day, those feelings aren't going to be there. <laughs> one, you know, it's like my wife was in the first service. And I was like, I mean, not for us. I mean, we never, we never struggle like that. You know? um, just like, one day, it's going to be hard. One day she's going to annoy you and, and he's going to drive you crazy and, and there's just going to, and, and you've got to remember those vows. You've got to remember those vows because that's when those vows mean something, when it gets hard. When it's all lovey-dovey and they're sitting in premarital counseling and they're like, oh, and then, you know, it's just like, they would never disappoint me, right? They, and he's like, oh yeah, they will, uh, they will. And, and that's when the vows matter, right? That's when the vows matter because... It just gets hard. It just gets hard. And, and what, God, what God is saying is, so the thing, though, about these vows, when you're in premarital counseling, when you're getting married, nobody's begrudgingly doing the vows, right? Why? Because you're in so much love, it's just easy. When you're at, it's like, oh, yeah, I'll, I always want to just serve and help. And, like, you know, and, and it, it doesn't get till a lot later when all of a sudden, when you're not feeling all those lovey-dovey feelings, and you have to remember, oh, wait, no, that's right. I'm supposed to serve my spouse because that's what I'm called to do, right? I'm supposed, as a husband, I'm supposed to lay down my life for my wife. And I'm supposed to serve her and, and care for her in, in different ways and when it's hard, right? But that's when the vows matter. But when everybody's all lovey-dovey, when everybody's all, oh, they're so perfect, right? It's just easy to make those vows. Why? Because the loving relationship. And God is saying the same thing. God's saying, I want you to be in so in love with me that you just, the law's easy. Of course, I want to do what you ask me to do. Of course, I want to surrender. Of course, I want to do the things that you ask me to do. Yes, God, and that's what the people of Israel do here. That's exactly what happens for them. Um, we, we see in uh, Exodus chapter 24, verses 7 through 8. So this is, God has given all these instructions chapter 20, 21, 22, 23, all these kind of bound. This is, this is what the relationship should look like. In chapter 24, verses 7 through 8, it says this, Then he took the book of the covenant, this is speaking of Moses, and he read it aloud to the people, and again they all responded, We will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. Why was that so easy for them? Why was it so easy? Because he just pulled them out of slavery in Egypt. They were getting beaten every day. They were making bricks. It was miserable. Life was hard. And God pulls them out of slavery. He gives them water in the wilderness. He feeds them. And then he says, I want to get married to you. I want to be in relationship with you. And they're like, yeah, easy. We want that. Yes, we're in. 
good. And, and then it says this in verse 8. Then Moses took the blood from the basins and splattered it over the people, declaring, look, this blood confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you in giving you these instructions. And if you're listening to that, you're like, that sounds kind of like familiar language. This blood confirms a covenant. It sounds a little bit like something Jesus said. Then you're absolutely right because it says this in Luke chapter 22. In Luke chapter 22, verse 20, it says this, After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup, this is Jesus speaking, is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. It's just amazing imagery of this blood committing to covenants. And, and um, in your notes, you can just write this down. Every marriage involves wedding vows. Every marriage involves wedding vows. Uh, and, and although these wedding vows are legally binding... Uh, and they express obligation, uh, lovers don't regard them as duty. Just, they just want to do them. They just, they just love doing them, and, and they're a joy to be fulfilled. Um, and our attitude towards the laws of God dramatically changes when we understand that these are wedding vows, that God is calling us into relationship, and he's saying, to be in relationship with you, I'm asking you to to abide by some things and, and I'll do some things and you do some things and, and if you look at these vows um, God makes vows to Israel uh, in chapter 23 verses 20 through 33 God makes a whole bunch of vows to the people God, God says things like I will protect you from your enemies in fact I'll be an enemy to your enemies God says that I will take sickness away from you, that I will lead you into your inheritance, that I'll, I'll do all of these things. God says, hey, if you follow my commands and you do what I ask you to do, I'm going to do some things for you. And, and then Israel makes vows to God. In Exodus chapter 24, verse 3, the people say, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. And why are they willing to make that vow? Because of all that God has already done for them and they want to be in relationship with this God these, these vows are exclusive forsaking all others God chose Israel he said I want you to be my treasured people I'm going to forsake all of that I want you to be my treasured people and, and they then uh, were exclusive in there Israel promised uh, I will have no other gods but you and so it was exclusive between God and his people and between his people and God. It was comprehensive. It wasn't just, hey, every now and then when you do a religious ceremony, I want you to do some certain things. It, it covered all facets of life. These vows weren't just for a segment of their life. These vows were for their whole life, right? It, it covered religious activities, but it also covered family and business and commerce and government and judicial and economic and societal. God says in every area of your life, I want us to be in relationship and I want our relationship to define everything else you do. And we're so quick to segment our lives. Well, I've got my work life and I've got my school life and I've got my church life and I've got my friend life and I've got my family life. And I'm, God says, no, no, no. Like, you've got your relationship with me life 
And then that impacts every other thing that you do. That's what God wants from his people. That's what he says here. And so uh, the law, in your notes, you can just see this next point here, says marriage always has a legal element that stipulates what the partners can expect from one another. So there's, there's, some, there's some legal stuff in marriage. This is the reason when you get a divorce, you've got to go to a court of law, right? Because there's some legally binding things that happen in marriage. There's, there's legal elements that happen in marriage. And we're quick to think, man, that's, that's not good, right? The, when we think of the laws, like, okay, it's legally binding and I have to do stuff. And let me just say, like, what, what this, the heart of this is that you have to have an agreed upon perspective, right? You have to have agreed upon rules to say, this is what we can expect from one another. This is, this is the, the heart behind this. Um, there's a, there is a football game that's happening tonight. I know like half of you do not care, uh, right? But, but there is a football game. It is kind of a big deal in America, all right? Um, but here's what I know. Here's what I know. If this football game if they didn't have agreed upon rules, would not be fun to watch. Um, I, I can just tell you, if, if they didn't have agreed upon rules and, and agreed upon structures, it wouldn't be a fun game to play and it wouldn't be a fun game to watch. I know this because I've played those games in the past. Like, hey, you know, for example, this past Christmas, um, we, Landon, our 11-year-old, got some gel blaster guns. Um, if you don't know what gel blaster guns are, you're just missing out on life. So he got some gel blaster guns for Christmas, and then his big brother got him another gel blaster gun. So we had three gel blaster guns. We're like, well, so what are me and Ethan going to do? We're like, well, we need to go to Walmart. We got to buy some gel blaster guns. So we had to get in the game. And then Ben went and bought a bigger gel blaster gun because this is just how we roll in the Fink family. And so we're in Orlando. We got all these gel blaster guns. And what do we do? We just go out in the woods and we start shooting each other because that's what you do, right? And so we're having a blast. We're having fun. But there's no real rules. It's just mass chaos. It's just shoot each other. And you really don't know who won and who lost. You're like trying to count welts, you know. But there's just no, it's just, it was fun. It was chaos. But there was no winner. There was no loser. It was just pandemonium, all right? Now, the difference is tonight's game. Tonight, there are very clear rules, Everybody knows what the rules are. There are four quarters in the game. There needs to be 11 players on the field. There's offense uh, on each side. There's offense. There's defense. You have, this is going to help some of you, all right, if you watch the game. You have four tries or downs to make it 10 yards. And if you don't make it 10 yards in your four tries or four downs, then the other team gets the ball and they get to go. Your goal is to run the ball or throw the ball and pass it and catch it and get into their end zone. And if you do, you score points. And, and if you don't, and again, you march it every, you get four tries every 10 yards and so all that. So there's rules. There's referees to ensure the rules. There's playbacks to ensure that everything's if you step out of bounds everybody knows what happens the the clock stops the the you stop right there at that line there's all of these things and those rules help the game be fun those rules will help us enjoy watching the game because we know what's happening if you don't have rules if you don't have boundaries there's all kinds of problems the difference between a river that is life-giving and a flood that is destructive are banks it's the only difference. The difference between a river that is life-giving and a flood that is destructive are banks. And God says, I want to give us some banks. I'm going to give us some banks so that so this relationship can have some boundaries. This is, this is you know, 
forgive me if this sounds a little sacrilegious, but God's like, I want to play football with you. Let me give you some rules, right? I want to be in relationship with you. Let me talk about what that relationship looks like. What are those banks that'll help that relationship stay healthy and stay vibrant and stay alive? And that's what this is all about. And so if we're going to play, we have got to agree on some rules. And when we agree on the rules, it's not legalistic obligation. It makes the relationship fun. We know what to expect. We know what we can expect of God. God knows what he can expect of us. It's, it's the healthy way a relationship should be. And so here at Mount Sinai, God has redeemed them from slavery. And God says, I want to get married. I want to enter into this relationship with you. And Prince Charming has rescued the damsel in distress. He's brought her to Mount Sinai. And he says, gets down on his knee and he says, you are my treasured position. I want to marry you. This is what our relationship should look like. And the people say, we're in. We're in. And in your notes, you can see this. Uh, the law, therefore, is good. It's not bad. It's good when used rightly. Now, maybe another way to say that is when used correctly. And the reason that's probably a better way to say it is that's exactly what Scripture says. Because in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. We know that the law is good when used correctly. How do you use the law correctly? Well, you use the law correctly to first reveal to us the holy character of God and to convict us of sin. The law is there to show us where, what is right and what is wrong and, and, and what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing. Um, in Romans chapter 7, verse 7, it says this way, Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact... It was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. The other way the law is used correctly is to point us to Christ. To point us to Christ. Galatians chapter 3 verse 24 says it this way. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And then ultimately the law is there to show us how to live. I love this quote from St. Augustine. St. Augustine says this. He says, The law was given that grace might be sought. And grace was given that the law might be fulfilled. I want to close by just reading this passage in Jeremiah to us and and then just praying before we uh, worship the Lord some more in song. But in Jeremiah chapter 31, I read you a small portion of this earlier. But in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, it says this. And again, this is Jeremiah looking forward to a day that was long in front of him. But this is a day that was 2,000 years behind us. And Jeremiah says this, pointing to Jesus. Jeremiah says, the day is coming, says the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. And this covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. 
I will put my instructions deep within them. And I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Jeremiah is pointing to this new covenant that Jesus came to bring to us, and and, and there, was, there was all kinds of ceremonial things in the covenant from Sinai, but there were also some moral kind of ways to live your life. And, and although Jesus came and he, he undid a lot of the ceremonial pieces in the sacrificial system because he was the lamb that laid down his life for all time, he didn't undo these boundaries, these these, hey, this is, how, this is how a good relationship with a loving God looks. These banks that, that help this river flow and bring life and not be a flood that just brings destruction in our lives. And God says, hey, I, I've given these as wedding vows. These aren't legalistic do's and don'ts. These are loving vows between people who love each other. If we begin to understand that, it begins to change Everything. And I, I'm just, Jesus came. Jesus laid down his life on a cross so that we wouldn't have to keep just trudging through in our own strength and on our own power and, and, and all of our own. And if you're here today, if you're watching online and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and if you've bought into the lie that you have to have it all figured out before you start following Jesus, if you've bought into the lie that that maybe the most important thing about the law, maybe the most important thing about Mount Sinai is this. It happened after they were delivered from Egypt, not before. And there are so many of us that think, well, I'm in Egypt, and I want to get out of Egypt, and so I'll start following the law. I'll start doing the right things. I'll, I'll start being a better person, and maybe when I've gotten good enough, then I can be in that relationship. And God says, that's not how it works at all. You're in Egypt. You're in bondage. You're in a horrible place. I want to rescue you. And after you come into a relationship with me, then I'll teach you what it means to walk with me. I'll teach you what it means to be in relationship with me. I'll teach you what it means to follow me. And I'm just telling you, that changes everything. And if you're here, my prayer is that even today, you would receive Jesus as your Lord. And if you're here and you've been following Jesus for a long time, but you thought the law was about do's and don'ts, my prayer is that we would see them as wedding vows and we would just fall more in love with a God who loves us so much. He's rescued us from a place of bondage. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, I thank you for your presence that's here. I thank you for what you want to do in each and every heart who's here, who's online. Lord, I, I just pray that uh, you would help us surrender more to you today. Lord, if, if there are some who are in this place and they've never asked you to be Lord and, and they want to do that and they don't even know how, if that's you, you could just pray this simple prayer with me. Just say, dear Jesus, will you forgive me of my sins? Will you be Lord of my life? Will you forgive me? I want to follow you. I don't know all that that means, but I, I, I know I need to be rescued. I know I need to be saved. I know that my life is not going in the right direction and I choose to turn towards you and to follow you and to surrender to you. Will you forgive me? If you prayed that prayer, you just need to know that your sins are forgiven. 
that that is the easy part, crossing over the Red Sea. And there's a lot of relationship after that, but, but he wants to redeem you and save you and work in you. And for those of you who are here and you just you maybe did that a long time ago, maybe your prayer is just, Lord, help me to keep surrendering. Help me to keep following. Help, help me to fall back in love with you. Forgive me when, when I've just started to kind of trudge through our relationship as if it's legalistic do's and don'ts. Forgive me when I've started slipping into religion instead of relationship. Lord, today, help me to just fall back in love with you. Help me today to renew my vows with you and to keep saying yes to you, no matter what you ask. We love you, Lord. We're grateful for this time that we have together to hear from you and to surrender to you. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me just say this before we sing together. If you're here and, and you made a spiritual step, we would love to, to walk with you on that journey. We'd love to celebrate that with you. There are cards in the seat backs in front of you. We're going to sing for a little bit, and then we're going to turn our attention to a time of giving, and, and there's going to be baskets that are passed in that time of giving. And, and when that time comes, you can just drop a card in a basket. Uh, we would love for you. Uh, to just let us know, hey, I took a spiritual step. We want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. We want to walk with you on that journey. And there is a lot for you. That is baby step number one uh, is, is praying that simple prayer. That's the easy part. But now there's some desert university, and I'm telling you, you're going to want some help, and we want to help you. We want to walk with you. And so, hey, let's worship the Lord. Would you stand together and let's sing? Let's, let's worship proper worship that God wants don't just stand there with your hands in your pocket and look at the screen all right let's let's sing out to God because God says I like it when my people sing let's sing